2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sklina. And I'm your other host, Matt Sklina. And Matt, I am so excited for today because we've got Tom Story. He is a realtor in Toronto. He's also the co-host of the Tom Story Show, which is a popular podcast across the country, hitting on all the major markets in, in Canada. And then on top of that, he is also the lead at uh, the story team, which is a, a quite a large team in Toronto that I, focuses I, on real
3: estate. I, yeah, investing. they're like top five teams in in Toronto, I think. Yeah,
2: so super excited to have Tom on the show. We jump into uh, well, we talk about the market, we talk about areas for
3: investment, we talk about his investment thesis and his portfolio. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was good to recalibrate a little bit to just talk about investing in real estate. You know, I feel like we talk about it less than we usually or we, we have over the last 10 years, partly because on the podcast, we talk about it and we still do. But a lot of real estate investors have left the market right now. And I think it's uh, in large part because of the higher interest rates they are just we're not having a day in, day out strategy sessions uh, on, on investing in the market as much. So it's good to, to hear his take. One thing I appreciate about Tom is he's kind of a calm voice.
2: And also just logical, right? Like just it's plain language lays out what his, his ideas are around investing. Sometimes on this program, as many of our listeners will know, we get into the deep into the details. And this is a nice kind of pull back. Yeah. And just think about real estate as part of your portfolio or, you know, just as an asset class and, and, and how, how people are thinking about it. And Tom is, he's got a decent sized portfolio, but it's as he'll say, is it's it's not an unachievable portfolio for people, and this is a great episode for people that are in the early stages of investing, or if you have a, a few doors, this is a great one for you. And 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 uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in this a- show, absolutely. Or if you're interested in uh, in the T dot, yeah, for sure, and uh, lots of room to grow in the T dot, the big <laughs> smoke. That's exactly <laughs> Does it. Does T dot happen? Any? I don't know. I feel like it's the six, right? Yeah. Right. Did the T dot ever happen? I don't yeah. know. I, I think it was always. Well, it, I, did the big smoke happen recently? <laughs>
3: <laughs> is that like a, that's a boomer. I think that is a boomer saying, but I like it. Big smoke's great. Before we cut to our talk with Tom Story, uh, Jaden Lee was on the show. Yes. And uh, I don't know how we can say this enough. He was on the show two episodes ago. If you didn't hear it, go listen to it. 24 year old endurance athlete, realtor, cancer cancer survivor. survivor. Basically, the store, the Coles notes here's the Coles notes. He raised $125,000 for BC Children's Hospital just over a year ago by running 100 kilometers. He is now bumping that up. His last, his own last check in is on October 6th at 3 p.m. He's running from BC Children's Hospital back to Chilliwack. He's running 100 miles and he's trying to raise. $150,000. He has already achieved 4% of this goal. So I think this is a very- six
2: grand or something? Yeah,
3: just over six grand. 4% of the goal is raised. The best way to get involved, whether that's running, because people are going to run alongside him, or donate is to either go to our Instagram. We have a pinned post. It's in the link in our bio. His Instagram, which is underscore Jaden Lee, and that's j a y d a n l e e or we have a button on the live wire i right. would say so sign up to the live wire at vancouver real estate dot com and uh yeah, hopefully we can get this number uh ever more growing yes yeah,
2: for sure, and super excited for that and uh yeah, if you wanna donate your time or donate uh, some money. Definitely check us out on Instagram and check out um, at underscore Jaden Lee, which is J A Y D E N L E E. We're going to be talking about this some more because it's something near and dear. And you're training. To, uh,
3: you're training for it right now.
2: Yeah, if you call it that. <laughs> yeah, I'm training. I'm training for. What am I training? <laughs> Smashing burgers into my face? No, this is uh I'm not training for a hundred No, but you are gonna do i I might, an might extensive in, run. I might join an, an extensive, extensive run. walk. I'll I'll be, I'll be walking to the finish line. Uh anyways, I can't wait. Uh and there's some agents actually who are gonna participate. I, no, there's I, a I'm, lot of
3: people of yeah. uh and you know, I'm thinking of of a lot of past guests. You know, I I've been reaching out to people to kind of get it in front of them because yeah. uh there's a lot of people that do a lot of exercise that have been on the show, and I know they're they're very generous uh, with both time and money. So it's a uh, it's a cause anyone can get behind. Absolutely, and I gotta say before we cut to this conversation with Tom, uh, so
2: many great guests coming. We just actually had Sean Hodgin's, president of Century Group, in the studio oh, man, this morning. Great conversation. Something that we haven't really touched on on our show before agricultural urbanism and designing projects based around that. This actually left me thinking one of the the main things about living in this city is just how uh blessed we are about you know having farmers markets and and community and walkability and everything else and uh talk about doubling down on that century it, group
3: it yeah I was gonna say it makes you uh it, i left feeling optimistic because it it's such a cool project and such a unique project yeah. um, it was, it was and one great, of I the haven't.
2: more interesting collaborations with uh, one of the biggest breweries uh in the lower in, in the region I should yeah. say. Absolutely. Wait for it. Wait Uh, for it. But one more thing to plug before we get to our conversation with Tom, the most downloaded document we've ever had on our show, it is the SOLD plan. SOLD is an acronym for start on launch date. This is a step-by-step guide to selling your property for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. And it's uh, drafted by uh, the two of us.
3: Yours and yours truly. And I would Uh, say that, I I don't don't know. know. Uh, But yeah, the two of us, you go, you hit sell with us or you hit help with selling at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. I feel like there's realtors downloading this. There's people that just want to see it. There's people that want to sell with us. And it's an instant download. It's an instant download. We're getting tons of activity. You should join the masses. Yes, absolutely. But without further ado, this conversation with
2: Tom Story. What a great take on real estate. Absolutely. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Markon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds,
3: all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markonca slash elmwood for
2: more. And Matt, we are also excited about Soan House, Marcon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Soan House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced, Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash sownhouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Tom Story, team leader from the Story team. How you doing, Tom?
1: I am doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: And I should say also, you are the co-host of the Tom Story Show, uh, an excellent podcast. Uh, you, you do a lot of YouTube as well.
1: I, I do, yeah. We've uh, we've kind of taken the opposite approach of you guys. Actually, we've shown our faces, <laughs> which I'm not sure if it's the right approach or the wrong approach. <laughs> um, and yeah, Adam, you were just on our show a few weeks ago. That episode performed very, very well. So I, I appreciate you inviting me on yours.
3: Yeah, Tom, I'm actually. Uh, well, maybe we'll get to YouTube uh, a little bit later because I think it's a uh, it's it's its own beast that I, I don't think we understand. But I'd be curious to hear kind of the experience there. But but maybe uh for our listeners who are not familiar with you and your show, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so I've uh this is coming up on ten years in real estate. Started at twenty-two years old, a naive kid living in his parents' basement. Wow. And uh and well, I don't know if anything is much, much has changed other than I'm just, I have my own basement now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I run a team in Toronto. Um, I, bu- I built out the business by doing a lot of, well, I started with rentals, which we can do here, which is different from you guys. Started building it up that way. Then we did a lot of condo sales uh, for downtown condos in Toronto. We were uh, ranked number two in the city last year. So that's kind of our bread and butter. But now, as our clients are kind of maturing, we're selling that condo and they're buying a house. So I run a team of five other agents now uh, and two administrators. So we've kind of built a, what I like to say is like a, a well-oiled but small machine. Uh, and we'll trade anywhere from, you know, 95 to 125 properties a year in, uh, in Toronto.
2: That's fantastic. And then also, Tom, for people that haven't checked out your podcast, can you talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Yeah. So I did the podcast uh, with Steve Karish. And we've been kind of friends in the real estate industry for, I don't know, probably over five years now. We met through a coaching program. And uh, as you guys probably did to how you started your podcast, is we'd like talk on the phone once a week, talking about what we were seeing. We're like, maybe this would be interested, interesting to record. So we are now, I think, 60-something episodes in. I still got a lot of catching up to do to get to you guys. Um, but uh yeah, it's it's starting to build. Our biggest viewership is actually YouTube. Um, that's where we get the most views. But then our downloads on audio are, are, are building every single week as well. So we're a year in and, and we're staying consistent with it. And I think it's, it's kind of fun because me and Steve have some good banter with each other. But then also the fact that I'm in Toronto, I'm on the East Coast. He's actually in Surrey. So, so he's West Coast. And kind of having two different perspectives on what's going on and then based on the guests we bring on as well. So the show has been a lot of fun.
3: And, and can you talk a little bit about the focus? Because that is, it is unique that you have two hosts from basically the opposite sides of the country. Like, are you flying over the prairies? Do you ever talk about other markets? Or is it like check-ins for, for the larger markets in the country?
1: We, we're trying our best to. Like, we don't want to pretend that we understand those markets, so we don't talk about it, but we'll try to bring on people that actually have the knowledge of those markets. So we're doing our best, and I think the reason why you know your show has has been you know largely successful and kind of what we tried to model off of it is most real estate agents when they start podcasts make podcasts for other real estate agents. <laughs> we're like our podcast is for homeowners. We're for consumers, just like you guys. Like we're we're talking to the public, letting them know what we're seeing. And you know, you can be the analytical realtor that just talks about numbers at all times. But I think giving those stories and perspectives of ground level, what's actually going on is what people appreciate.
2: And when I think about YouTube, I think about people trolling the comment sections, um, <laughs> like painful, painful experiences yeah. every time you put yourself out there. Uh, uh, why, why choose YouTube as, as the
1: main kind of medium? Yeah, so actually s- similar to what you guys were doing with, with just the audio episodes. If I look right now at the social media platforms that exist, if I'm someone creating the content, I would look at you know TikTok and Instagram as the places that will maybe get me the most amount of views. But those are also the platforms in which I think most people go there to be entertained. Where I think long-form audio or long-form video is where people go to learn, to be educated. And I think you can entertain people, but it doesn't mean... They're necessarily going to trust you or think you're good at what you do. You just entertain them. So, the reason that we chose YouTube is because, yes, I could make a 30 second TikTok that talks over the market. And if it takes off, it does, you know, a million views and it makes you feel really good. Your ego is lifted. But then people move on and they go to the next thing and they have no, they don't even remember what they watched, right? So, the simple answer for YouTube is I love long form. And long form for me started as like 10-minute videos and now it's hour-long podcasts. But I think if someone sits down and they know what to expect every single week, me as a business owner, um, better way to actually get in front of the people that I'm trying to talk to.
2: And, and maybe one more question kind of about the podcast. Is it something that... So you're talking about real estate with Steve and you figure that you know the consumer can probably gain some insight from these conversations... How has it actually changed your business, or has it changed your business?
1: Well, I mean, the most obvious thing that that we at least can see, like visually, because and I talk about this a lot on our podcast, but like most people that enjoy what you do, listen to it, consume it, and then go on with their day, <laughs> and they don't tell you that they enjoyed what you created for them. Right? It's only really the people that don't agree with you that are very vocal about telling you that they they don't like what you did. But what happened, and, and obviously it doesn't happen right away, but now, the biggest thing used to be people that found me online are like, Hey, I watched your video where you talked about this on your main channel. But now it's like, Hey, I listen to the podcast every single week. This is what we're trying to do. Can you help us do this? So on a, on a way of actually you know, meeting new people, creating new opportunities for my business, it's been great for that. But I think actually maybe like more importantly, bringing on guests that are much smarter than me in the subject in which we are talking to them about, which could just be a different market has taught me so much about Canadian real estate. I understand Toronto real estate. I could bore you guys with numbers all day long about Toronto real estate, but understanding how the rest of the country works has been a big benefit to my business.
3: Fantastic. Well,
1: speaking of,
3: uh, and well, actually this question is not, I'm assuming Toronto will play a big part in this, but uh, Tom, we know you work with, uh, with a lot of investors and you're an investor yourself in real estate. Can you talk a little bit about your investment strategy or
1: thesis? Yeah, hundred percent. So I heard somebody once say, and this goes for anybody that runs their own business, not just real estate agents. They said, "I've been to a lot of real estate agents' funerals, but never a retirement party." <laughs> uh, this is an entrepreneurial. <laughs> oh, thing. Oh God, right? that is
3: a that's, that's a depressing. That's, that's actually, <laughs> very accurate. Uh, yeah, right? accurate <laughs> but depressing. <laughs> I've never heard
1: accurate that. but depressing. And I remember I heard that. And I'm like, okay. Am I the business owner that works till my last breath and that's it? And all I do my entire life is work? Or am I going to build some foundation? So that was actually the wake up call. And then because I'm in this industry, it was like, all right, I'm looking at this long term. And I, I can go over exactly kind of how I see this into the future. But it started with, you know, I started small. I bought my first condo when I was 24 years old for. $360,000. $360,000. Only lived there for a year, ended up selling it. I was very lucky in what the market did, bought another one that was a bit bigger, moved the equity over, and kind of rode that way for a little while. I refinanced a few times. And the only properties I've ever sold, which I, which obviously looking back, I still wish I had never sold any of them, but it was to move the money into another property. So now the portfolio is I started with condos. But now the goal is to own as much dirt as possible. So now I have one condo left, but I have three houses and one of them is a fiveplex. So I started with what I could have afforded, which was the cheaper condo properties, got in, built it up, and then slowly would move that money into freehold assets. And then for me, if I really break down the investment thesis, it's, you know, if you look 30 years from now, or wherever you are in your life, what is it going to cost you per month? To retire, and whatever the number you think it is, uh, times it by three because mm. it's going to be more than you think it's going to be. And I started thinking about this, and it's like, okay, how do any of us make money? Well, you either have a salary, maybe you have a pension one day. If you're entrepreneurial, you don't have that. You know, these properties are my retirement. So I'm not too bothered really what's been going on with interest rates recently because I'm not selling any of these assets. Short-term, it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride. But I do think the last 18 months of uncertainty in the Canadian real estate market is going to very quickly separate the amateur investors from the professionals because amateurs are not going to like what they see. And if they're cash flow negative, they're going to try and get out. But anyone thinking with a longer-term perspective isn't thinking like that. So the way that I'm looking at it is you know, in 25, 30 years from now, and by the way, I'm not like developing, right? I'm buying and holding. That's that's my thesis. I'm not making it too complicated at this point. Is each asset I have that is a property, when it is fully paid off, how much cash flow am I getting from that asset per month? Because when I retire, hopefully that's the position that I'm in. And then you add up all those, what you're getting per month. and And I think what a lot of us focus on is, well, what's our net worth based on If these are all paid off, okay, this is great. I could just sell one and retire on that. But then you're trading the asset in and it's not working for you anymore. So I'm not actually too concerned, although it will help you sleep at night, on what's the equity in the property. It's getting the property to a place that it's a cash machine every single month. And I know what I'm getting out of it. And right now, having the four properties, I know I'm nowhere near what I would need to retire comfortably even if they were all paid off today. So for me, it's trying to figure out how many properties do I have to add to my portfolio that when I'm 55, 60, 65, I have all these assets, they're paid off, and they're cash flowing X per month that my life is taken care of. So that's like the really long-term investment thesis on... I'm not really too concerned with a few bumps along the way here um and i've actually thought about what does the next 10 years even look like and in my mind i think there's three potential outcomes for for any market in canada if i uh if i look at toronto and, and of course when when you make these decisions you want to know immigration you want to know interest rates you want to know unemployment levels those are the obvious things that we all talk about but it's either it's going to be the same as the last 10 years but probably not, because interest rates are not going to be what they were in the last 10 years in terms of growth, right? Right? But if interest rates stay high, the rent you're going to get is probably going to increase at a faster pace, not not if you're capped for rent cap, but you know when new people are moving it, right? Because it's pushing people down, and the, you know the, the renters are really the ones that took the brunt of the last few years anyways. I feel really bad for anyone in that, in that scenario that couldn't get in. So it either does what it did in the last 10 years. Or you go the polar opposite, it goes 10 years of crash and burn and takes 10 years to get back to where it is today, right? What would that look like? For for us in Toronto, that was 89 to 2002. I think for you guys, it was 82 to something. You correct me if I'm wrong. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So that could happen. Or... It could just be whatever the forty year average is, or you'd be conservative because I know in Toronto over the last forty years, through one major crash and three corrections, we've still been averaging about six and a half percent yearly appreciation compounding from you know the eighties. So which one of those three outcomes is it going to be? Probably not best case, likely not worst case if I'm conservative with my numbers and and just say, you know for the next twenty years. My real estate assets are going to go up averaging 4% a year, which is below the 40 year average, and I can pay them off and the rent goes up over time. I'm going to put myself in a pretty good position, but I'm not too concerned about short term volatility because I can afford the asset. And just to be clear as well, I didn't do this all on my own. We own some in LPs. I have other investors that bought properties with me. So that's kind of a very long answer of what my investment thesis is.
3: Right. No, that that's great, Tom. And I'm just thinking, so a few questions, but first, so you started by saying project out, you know, 30 years from now, 25 years from now, 20 years from now, whenever it is you, you want to be done, how much money you're going to need, and then kind of work your way backwards, times it by three. In terms of, how you're doing that analysis? I think somebody's probably wondering about rents. Like, how are you? Cal- are you using today's rents? Are you kind of? Are you using a certain inflation number every year to to project out what the the cash flow is going to be if those assets are paid off?
1: I'm actually being a super conservative in the rents. I'm actually using today's rents because I know I, I don't want to like overpromise myself something I can't guarantee. But then, as you're doing this, you would update those numbers every single year. For where, where you know they're at. So I, I'm not even taking into account that the rent could be even more, even though I know it's it's probably going to happen, just because I don't want to tell myself something I can't guarantee is going to happen. And then you just figure out do you like the number you see on the page? And if it's not real estate, is it because you've invested in the stock market and you're getting dividends? You know, like it could be anything. It doesn't have to be housing, but for me, what I understand. Is real estate, so that's mm. the path I've taken.
2: And Tom, where where exactly are these properties?
1: So I've got uh, currently, I own a house in like in the East End of Toronto, so like a, a prime area where inventory is always under like one and a half a month. Pretty much everything sells. That's where I currently live right now. Which I know some people will argue that's not part of your investment because you live there, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, it won't I, I go it. on YouTube, yeah, so don't you don't worry. have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I understand the argument. Fine. um Your yeah, principal residence is not an asset. Fine. Uh, <laughs> the second one is actually a cottage property that I bought during the pandemic because I was going crazy, like everybody and needed an escape, but bought it at the time before it went completely crazy. It's still worth more than I paid for it. And the area in which I own that, there is no Airbnb regulations. I'm allowed to do it. And that property is already cash flowing very well because it's short-term rental. And I still get to use it with my family all the time. So that's property number two. The third property is a condo directly in the core of downtown, like King West area. I actually bought that condo pre-construction, which I... The last three years, I've been trying to talk people out of because I think the Delta is crazy. But I bought that one in 2018, took a fixed rate on that one. So that one's still doing pretty good right now. And the rental market kind of exploded. So that condo, we paid 554 from the builder, probably worth 750 to 8 today, being fairly conservative. And we're cash flowing on that one about 1000 bucks a month right now, which, is, wow. which has been a great investment that it, we kind of hit a few sweet spots as well as like, we took a fixed rate before things changed. So the cash flow could change in the future, right? In the next few years when we come up for renewal. And when we put it up for rent, the Toronto rental market was just exploding and got three or four offers that kind of bid it up a little bit. So I didn't expect that, but that's obviously great. And the uh, the extra the extra money we're making on it right now, we're just putting right back in and we're paying double principal. Um, So the goal is to get that paid off. And then uh, the last property is actually in Vancouver. Go on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, it's a fiveplex in Vancouver. That one I own with two other people uh, through an LP. And um, I think a lot of people, if it's not family, it can be scary to invest with other people. The person in which I invested with on this one, uh, it's a CMHC mortgage. Again, we got it before things kind of changed. It's cash flowing. It's doing really well. We've had it for a year and a half now. And uh, the person I invested with their job, basically for a long time, was traveling across the world for one of the bigger REITs in Canada. And they were basically making all this money and finding investment opportunities for these very large corporations, which I'm sure a lot of you guys will know when I tell you who they are. And he's like, I've made them so much money. Why don't we do this for ourselves? So that one, um, he manages it because that's what he does for a living. And I'm, I'm a partner in it, but I've actually never physically been to that property.
2: So, so I'm just thinking about um, most of the properties you're telling us about are in major cities in Canada.
1: How does location tie into your investment thesis? For the most part, I look at it in a few different ways. So When I talk to buyers and sellers about properties, what I'll typically say to them is like, if you're trying to sell an asset, I can tell you right now, like a good example is this. In downtown Toronto, uh, if you take a cookie cutter condo with an okay floor plan, in a hot market, it moves. In a good market, it moves. But in a slow market, that thing sits on the market with all the other ones that are the exact same. But the hard loft or the soft loft that's unique It has a really good floor plan. It's a split two bedroom. It doesn't have a long bowling alley hallway. That has a wow factor. And I have enough actual proof from listing these properties in good markets and bad markets that the properties with wow factors still move in markets that are slower. Right? So to to tie that back in, what I'm getting with that is I'm trying to look at how many wow factors exist for these properties that will help them either rent out i guess potentially sell in the future even though I, i'd rather not sell them if i could and the first wow factor to me would be a city that we have large population population growth people are coming in here you know the core job markets are here that that's why i would buy in the cities that i understand and frankly just from like an outside perspective noticing what has happened since the pandemic started where people that didn't know a lot about other markets started just kind of like blindly investing in them because someone did and someone said it was a good idea that like terrifies me and i and i wouldn't have invested actually in vancouver if i didn't have someone there that i trusted with my money that i know very very well i would have only stuck to toronto Mm -hmm.
2: hey everyone pardon the interruption we just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible.
3: We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience?
0: Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you really made an impact and connected with the community.
3: And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee.
0: Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes.
3: And you made some friends along the and way. I've
0: made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right?
3: Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca.
0: Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution.
3: We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the bigwigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to Oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Interesting. You know, I just want to go back. You were talking about this a bit ago, Tom, but the idea of doubling up on mortgage payments right now, when you have a locked in low interest rate, I think some some people are going to go, wait, what? You know, super cheap money still. You're paying that down? are you Are you looking ahead? Can you talk a little bit about because I think I feel like I've talked to a lot of people who are kind of wrestling yep. with you know uh, is it time to deleverage? Should you use that cheap money still that you have locked in for the next couple of years? you know what what's the strategy right now? I'm just curious to hear yeah. your, your take on it
1: yeah so so the the difference would be like when we talked earlier bef- before it was like, you know what if I'm not working? Do I need this cash flow? Is this cash flow going to change my life at the moment, right? And it's not because I have an income become, because I run a business. I'm actively working every single day. So this thousand dollar cash flow a month, even if I put it into a GIC at four and a half percent, it's like it doesn't really change anything for me right now. Right. So just for peace of mind, and I would actually say that I've I've become slightly more conservative recently. Where at the beginning it was just like leverage, leverage, leverage. And because truthfully, I never went through a really bad market. It was always pretty good. And leveraging really, really worked well for me. But I've learned pretty quickly. And and I'm lucky that I haven't been directly burned or anything. But I've seen it happen. And that people that just like don't put the money back in and don't pay down their mortgage and spend it on other things can be put in bad situations. So it's almost just like a forced, I'd rather pay it to the principal That's okay, because I know that long-term, my goal is get all these properties paid off so that the cash flow is more every single month when I actually need it in the future.
2: Tom, just thinking about Toronto now, uh, maybe shifting gears a little bit, can you give us an overview of the current state of the Toronto real estate market?
1: Yep, totally. So I think very similar to your market, uh, we still have had an inventory issue for most of 2023. And, and very surprisingly, you know, from January to May, we saw price growth every single month, which is something that I don't think any of us really thought we would say after what happened last year with the rate hikes. Right. Since the last year rate hikes, that has stopped. Uh, and there's a very, very strong case to be made that the peak of the 2023 market in Toronto was May for all asset classes, um, unless something changes as we head into the fall. But right now, if you broke it down into different you know, types of properties, you know, the average detached property in proper Toronto, so 416 area code, is still $1.8 million. It's it's very expensive. A semi-detached in the core of the city is $1.4 million. A townhouse is a $1 million. And your average condo in Toronto proper is like $770,000. So it's still a very, very expensive market. And although, yes, we've dropped from the peak of February 2022, if you need a mortgage like most people do, you know, there's an argument to be made. It's more expensive now than it's ever been before because of what the monthly payments are going to be. Right. So you know, it's interesting. Like In the area that I live, I'm in the beaches in Toronto. So it's just east of the city. A lot of people like that area. It does well. The houses that go up in my area right now, they're still selling with multiple offers. Because even though interest rates are higher and the last two rate hikes have happened, it's like, yeah, well, there's 10 homes to choose from. (laughs) So like the the, the demand is still way more than the supply. But in the condo side of things, where we're listing a lot of condos, it has significantly slowed down. Uh, The inventory levels that was at one and a half or two months of inventory are now pushing into the three, three and a half. And it's going to be a more balanced out market for a while. What I'm keeping a very, very close eye on because people are asking now after the last two rate hikes, well, when are prices going to fall again? Because prices fell the first time they increased rates, but obviously we had more than two two 225 points. It was, it was a whole lot that, that first year, right? So it's not going to be the same as that. And what I'm tracking is not active inventory because active inventory for the most part is going to be the rollover listings because the absorption of the new listings is not selling at what it was in previous months. So it's right now we have leftover buildup inventory, the, the stale properties sitting on the market that are either overpriced or don't show very well or don't have some type of wow factor. That's what the news will report on. That's what a lot of people will talk about in their videos and their podcasts. And, and there's obviously significance to this, but I'm just looking at new listings. Uh, how many new listings are actually coming to the market? Because if then you pair up the active inventory today, and the new listings are coming on at a rate that you haven't seen previously, and year the absorption is going to be slower, that's when the inventory actually starts to build up, and then it will put pressure on prices. And I think the next two months for your market, for my market, will be pretty similar to what we saw early rate hikes in 2022, where it's a transition zone sellers still want the may price at least in my market because that was the peak because that was the last sale they're looking at buyers know it's slowing down there's not as many offers on every property but sellers are like well i'm going to wait or if i don't get it now i'll just relist in the fall because there's not enough recent sales data to prove either side uh, but if if new listings come out at a rate that adds to the active inventory we already have it's just a matter of time that <laughs> buyers will eventually just grind sellers down that they're gonna have to drop their price. But but that initial shock to the system with the rate heist can take, you know, 30, 60, 90 days.
3: So best guess on on after Labor Day here, what the what the rest of the fall looks like. In Toronto, I, I guess. I,
1: <laughs> yeah. Probably similar to the fact that like You know, what I was saying earlier in the year for the spring was this might be the first regular spring market we've had in three years. Because you think about the years prior, it's like last year, the spring market's when the rate hikes started. The year before in 2021, it was just complete insanity (laughs) the entire year all over the country, right? Right, right. The year before that, the pandemic happened during the spring market. And I think this will be, again, one of the more typical fall markets we've seen, it might go back to transaction volume of what you saw in 2018, 2019. But it's not going to be 2020, 2021. It'll probably still look better than 2022, depending on what market. But uh, for for most... What I've recognized is you look at where the sales are actually happening. And for Toronto condos, 75% of all condos that have sold in Toronto so far in 2023 are happening under $750,000. So that's the area we actually need the inventory because that's where the buyers exist that can afford the inventory. So when you look at what's on the market come the fall, yes there will be new listings we're we're actively preparing a lot for the market in September. Probably the buyers will be there again. I think the fact that there's no rate hike announcements until September and we had July or half of July and August to kind of relax for a second might actually help buyers as well but I don't think it's it's going to go crazy. I I still think of the Toronto market. I think the peak already happened. I don't think we're going to peak again this year. I think it was May.
2: In thinking about the areas Tom in uh Ontario that you're excited about or where you see opportunities for for buyers or investors, can you can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the the term we used to use all the time that was kind of tongue in cheek was like drive till you qualify. Right. Right. That's what you kind of talk to first-time homebuyers about. But then during the pandemic, it was like drive. And then actually, you might turn around and go back because <laughs> everything... <laughs> Why would I drive
3: this far if the prices are the same?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like it kind of equalized everything. I think Adam, you mentioned that when you came on our podcast as well. So what we're actually finding right now and like, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm an investment a specialist on all these areas in Ontario. Like I know Toronto and I kind of stick to it. But what I will say is that whether it's the markets that are an hour outside or an hour and a half outside or or things like that, what we really <laughs> kind of have to focus on is, are you ever going to go back to work? And if so, what's the value of your time going back and forth? And I will tell you that we have an interesting type of client right now that is someone that has been renting for the last five years. They're in a rent-controlled building. They don't want to leave their rental because their rent price would go up a 1000 bucks if they moved into the same place next door at today's rates. But they want to get into the market, but they can't afford Toronto. So this kind of like first-time buyer, but they're an investor. So they're now looking at these markets that are an hour and a half, an hour an hour outside Toronto to get into the market, but they're going to continue to live where they are and they're going to rent out that property. And that's kind of an interesting trend that at least for my business, I hadn't really seen before. And if anyone's listening to this from Ontario, just know that if you do that, you're not technically a first-time home buyer. You don't get the credit.
2: That's funny because we've actually seen that quite a bit actually in our market as well and and amongst groups of friends that can't, you know, we have one friend who lives in New York, but has wanted to get into a market. So has bought real estate in Canada in a, in a secondary market just to have some kind of asset. Right. So it's, it's, it's an interesting i uh, concept, the idea of now moving, still being a real estate investor, but renting where you really want to live. But
3: Well, and especially when, if your rent, like you're saying, Tom is, is, is way below character. market. So
1: it's like, right. man, this, why would I ever give this up? I was thinking today actually um, because uh, someone in our office was complaining about that how it works in Ontario is that there's rent control for buildings built between or built before November 15th, 2018. But anything after that, there isn't rent control. Is that, is that, does that move?
3: Does the, is, does that, no. So like 10 years from now, it's going to be that date as well?
1: It's always going to be that date. So, so the timeline, how it happened here in Ontario was, in early 2017, our market went up 26% in the first four months of the year. And at the time, the liberals were in government and they said, enough of this, we're bringing in the fair housing plan, which was a foreign buyer tax and rent control was basically the, the two things and a laundry list of other things that didn't really make a big difference. And at that point, it was rent control on everything. And previous to that, the date was like 1991, The, the anything after that. So then there was a blanket rent control put over everything, which was... A band aid that's, that's kind of solved a few things right away, but was going to cause a big issue. And it's funny because I, I, you know, when like Facebook reminds you of a post you've done previously, and normally it's like super embarrassing from something you posted like 10 years ago. Yeah. I got one from 2017 with like a little rant on rent control being like, I understand this, but the only people that should be for rent control is if you are not going to leave your current rental for the next 10 years. Because it will be great for you. But for everybody else, it's going to cause rent increases to go up. And then what happened, that government went out, Ford was brought in in Ontario. He then put in the new rent control, which was just anything after this date, which is November 15th, 2018, does not have rent control. So, so that's basically like the timeline of, of how it happened. And it hasn't done anything. Like It's, it's gotten so bad here. I, I, I actually can't believe... Obviously, as a real estate investor... It's great. But like looking at the cost of living in the city from when I started to now, I, I can't believe what people are paying for. Yeah, it.
2: That's the same. Sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah.
3: Tom, just thinking about maybe, um, so, oh wait, I was actually, I, sorry, Adam, I don't to cut you off, but just in terms of the Ontario markets you're excited about, I was actually wondering sub areas in Toronto, like if you were buying something right now in, in the city. Right.
1: Sure. So, if you look at what's built up and not what's not built up in Toronto, like I'll, I'll give you like a, a personal example. So, in the beaches area where I live, there is Queen Street, and if you live south of Queen, it means you're very, very close to the water, and there is a massive premium put on houses that are south of Queen. Now, I am slightly north of Queen, so I'm not I'm not in that area, right? And I'm like, okay, well, this probably wasn't always like this, but it got to a point that this happened. So it's looking at the next pockets in zones that are slightly outside, not necessarily that area. So to give you, you know, an actual example, if you keep going east of the beaches, you get to Scarborough, right? And Scarborough is still technically Toronto; it's one of the boroughs. And there's Kingston Road, which goes all the way down, becomes Highway Two. Like you, you can go all—I don't know if it goes all the way to Ottawa, but it goes pretty far. There is the north of Kingston and south of Kingston. I think the next premium is going to be the south of Kingston. Because you can still buy... I just did this for a client. I went in the last 60 days, in that pocket of Scarborough, how many freehold properties sold under a million dollars? Because we had a buyer that wanted to buy a house in that area under a million dollars. In the last 60 days, there was 52. So I know that that's still a million dollars. I get it. But that doesn't exist in many different areas of the city. A lot of other areas are up to 1.2, 1.3, whatever it is. So that would be my first answer. The second answer, and this is kind of an ongoing joke for people that live here, but the Eglinton LRT, which has been under construction for 400 years. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But but I'm told one day it will be complete. (laughs) And if you look at the houses kind of off... Eglinton, but not Young in Eglinton, which is like midtown of the city. But if you go a little bit more west, like the Belgravia area, you guys, it'd be easier if I could show you on a map. But these are the areas in which a lot of the people that live in these areas have lived in these houses for 40, 50 years. And they're really good lots. And they're mostly bungalows. And you're starting to now see infill happen in those areas. So if you look at where you can get a decent lot, in an area that's gentrifying, that would probably be the core area I'd look at. I don't necessarily know at this moment in my life if that that's where I want to live. But if I was if I was investing my money, I'd seriously consider it.
3: Awesome. So Tom, here I don't know if this is an easy question to answer, but uh, but I guess you and Steve are are talking all the time. He, of course, lives in Surrey, but let's call it the lower mainland. And you're talking a lot about Toronto, you're talking a lot about Vancouver. In your mind, what are, what are some of the most salient similarities, but also differences between the two markets?
1: So what, what I noticed actually from just being there and visiting Steve at his house was that the first thing is like downtown Vancouver for someone from Toronto is tiny. I couldn't believe I could walk everywhere. Like right. Toronto, I'm losing my mind. There's no way you can walk around all downtown. It's like, well, are we going out on the east or the west tonight? Because if it's one or the other, I can't get around to all the different areas, right? So that was kind of surprising to me. Um, the similarities, I think, are just the the prices, the unaffordability of it compared to other Canadian cities and the rent. And then the, the main thing, and this will sound kind of funny, but I've had quite a few people that, that move from Vancouver to Toronto and they want a condo and they're like, I want a place with an amazing view. And I get them a place on like the 65th floor of this, condo looking at the water (laughs) and they're like well this is okay like where are the mountains and I'm like well I can't do anything about that yeah
3: but where's the amazing view
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's like well there's another building across from you (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah I I would just say like lifestyle wise I I don't know if I could talk a lot to that because I've never lived in Vancouver but I will say you guys seem to have a calmer attitude towards life which I kind of envy because uh, Toronto is a lot of go go, go, the city never really stops, right, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of you know just even like restaurants, every new restaurant that comes to Toronto came from vancouver <laughs> like that's that's basically how it works for us, and the lack of or complaining towards public transit I think are pretty similar in both cities, right
3: It's interesting, like since we've started this show you know back in two thousand and sixteen, I feel like every time we we used to talk to we've had a a bunch of people from Toronto on, but it seemed like Toronto was behind in pricing. And now for the last couple of years, it's like, it's, it's not only caught up, it's like neck and neck. It feels like there's been a lot of, uh, I don't know. It feels like it's different. It feels like there used to be sort of a, Hey, let's look to Vancouver for where prices are going. And now it's, it's not that way. I don't know. Toronto seems to have Definitely, I mean, arrived, saying arrived is ridiculous because it's no, the, but also big smoke. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, it, it's definitely changed.
1: It's uh, it's interesting because I actually think that like the prices aren't too dissimilar. I still think for like what you get, Vancouver is, is a more expensive market, right? But Toronto rents are like the same, if not maybe more in some cases than Vancouver, even though the sale prices are slightly less, right? Like our rental prices should. When like, honestly, it doesn't make sense. Like the rental market feels like what the beginning of 2022 felt like for the sale market—just extreme demand. People are doing anything possibly to get something. And something more recently that's like kind of scary. And maybe this is a good like PSA for anyone. Like, um, we had a condo for sale in downtown Toronto, and I had three different people call my office and say, "Hey." You know, we talked to you online, we're ready to submit our rental application. And I'm like, this condo is not for rent. Someone had taken our address, put it on Airbnb. Yeah. And was trying to scam like people that were moving to Canada out of large deposits.
3: That happens to us all the time, honestly, like with our listings that people contact us and say, hey, can we confirm that, you know, somebody asked for a large deposit is actually the owner? And you're like, well... We sold that four years ago, but not to the guy, not to Jimmy or whoever's asking you for the for they, three months rent up front. always Jimmy, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Jimmy. I Literally, the, the person, the last person, I said, send me where you found it. The link was now invalid. They must be putting it up and taking it down really quickly. And they sent me an ID of someone that was not the owner, but was pretending to be. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, anyone listening to this that's renting or has a friend renting, like, at this point, when it's so competitive, people become desperate and don't let their critical thinking go as far as maybe it was when it's calmer. Like, do not send money to somebody in the rental market like that. It's scary. It's yeah, scary.
2: Facebook Marketplace, right? Yeah, it's. I think Craigslist is Craigslist kind of dead. dead. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and in Toronto, because as real estate agents, we can actually help with the rentals. When that's the difference between our market and yours, and not to say like. You know, you should work with real estate. If you find something privately, it's cheaper. Do it. But most of these scams are happening on yeah Facebook Marketplace, Kijiji, Craigslist, because there's no verification. It's just people desperate for housing and getting scammed, which is which is really sad.
2: Tom, we do have this segment called the Five Wire, Uh, five quick questions, lighthearted to end the show. Can you stick around for that? I can do it. Yep. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey. That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive, tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a
3: decade in the top 10% of realtors in the Lower Mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network
2: of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay. Awesome. So, first question is: one book that you would recommend for our listeners?
1: Oh, Traction by Gino Wickman. It's called Traction. Get a grip on your business. It's for business owners, but anyone. I I I just think it's like it's the foundation of how I built out my team and my business. I think it's amazing.
3: Fantastic. That has not been uh, recommended on the show. In, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life?
1: So I don't think to do lists work. I think I to-do can lists... I can agree with
3: well. <laughs> corroborate <laughs> so that the, statement.
1: <laughs> the actual habit is that if it's on the to do list, it only works if it's put in your calendar. Simple stuff here, but that has totally changed my life. I, I know it sounds boring, but like my calendar runs my life, and if it's not in there, it's not happening.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy how small the tasks are that make it into my calendar now. <laughs> yes. it, but it works. Question number three, what have you been binge-watching lately or a movie recommendation? The Bear. Season oh. two
1: of The Bear, I've been
2: binge-watching. Watched an episode last night. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's yeah. only getting better, too. At least I'm, I, I'm in season one still.
1: It's such a good show. And if anyone watched Shameless, you're going to like his character he played lip and shameless really really good show i don't even know if i like cooking it's just there's something about that show that there's very something
2: about the pace of it though that almost gives yeah. me anxiety you know what it's, though it's a kitchen
3: that's, that's i think they they actually the i watched the first season and i used to work in a kitchen when i was a kid and that kind of yeah. frenetic pace i think they're trying to yeah. capture the you know Which, what it's like that guy's a really compelling actor there's something about that amazing. guy he's really that, good yeah Ah, fantastic. Favorite band or music? Favorite band or
1: music. That's a good question. Like I love all music. If I have, if you had to like put me on the spot, this is gonna sound so generic, but you have to put me on the spot is like put on a playlist that you can only like, listen to for the next 24 hours, like John Mayer or something. Something where like he's a talented musician that doesn't need a bunch of beats and he's just really good with a, with a guitar.
2: Nice. And last but not least, something that you have purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars recently that has had an impact on your life—a positive impact.
1: Under fifteen hundred dollars. Oh, a uh, standing paddleboard for my cottage. <laughs> Very cool.
2: Yeah, that's a uh, wow. There's another similarity. Yeah. <laughs> <to> be- <laughs> I feel like you have to have a standing paddleboard here. That's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Tom, tell us uh, where we can find out more about the Story Team and of course the Tom Story Show.
1: Yeah, so Tom Story Show, uh, YouTube, just just type it in like that. You'll find it. It's also on the audio uh, platforms. And then to learn more about the team uh, is storyteam.ca. Story is spelled E-Y, like stories of a building. And we're on Instagram as well.
3: Fantastic. Well, that was great, Tom. Thanks so much for your time. And uh yeah, we'll have to have you back for a check-in uh I don't know, sometime in the future.
1: I'd right. be happy to come back. Thanks guys for having me.
3: So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Tom Story out of Toronto from the Story Team, the Tom Story Show. And uh an assortment of other things. He's uh talk about energetic smart guy.
2: Yeah, I, I loved having Tom on the program. Really thoughtful guest and uh would love to have him back. He's uh like like we said, he's a he's a top producer in Toronto, so he's really got his finger on the pulse of that market. And as we're learning over the years, there's a lot of similarities, there's some striking differences. But a lot of similarities between our markets is kind of the two kind of engines of the country's real estate market.
3: And if someone's looking for an episode to start with the Tom Story show, I would say there's one with another top producer, Adam Scalina. Yeah, I don't know. Save your save save your
2: time and Come focus on, on. next it next was, week. We got you, Sean Hodgin's on the program, Matt. <laughs> That's an episode
3: there. If you're gonna if if we have if we can get you for another hour, focus on that because it's uh, it's a great episode. It, it, it was a great conversation. Super excited about uh, our conversation with Sean. Agricultural urbanism had never even thought or considered it such a great idea. So stay tuned for that. What else do we have before we go, Adam? We have, of course, Podcast.com. This is our website where all real estate related things live, including our whole back catalog. That's almost a decade worth of conversations with summaries. They're searchable. Know what you're looking for. You can find it there. We have the sold plan that start on launch date. That's for sellers. Hit sell with us. You get that download immediately. And of course, we have Private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing
2: still where the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's available over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And I don't know why people wouldn't be on PCS right now because the thing right now is, especially if you're in Vancouver, the city of Vancouver... Often you're waiting on inventory. And the best thing is, is I get these alerts from PCS when there's new listings. They're updated 36 to 72 hours before public MLS in some cases. And it's, it's like in your inbox and it's uh, searchable immediately. And even if it doesn't have photos, you can start exploring.
3: Why miss? Why miss? If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout 778-847-2854 or matt at Podcast.com. Never miss
2: Adam at Podcast.com or try me at 778-866-4574. And we also have that nonpartisan Kokomo line info at Podcast.com. We'll have a great week back next week with Sean Hodgins, president of Century Group, and so many more guests coming that are just phenomenal. I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tom Story. Have a good week.